Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Well, hello. Welcome to Jules Says. I'm Julie, Jules, grandmother. I would like to thank the young lady who emailed me about her own issues with anxiety. She was responding to my January 19th podcast in which I had a lovely chat with my friend Joanne about her journey navigating anxiety. It took her about six months to get into a psychiatrist. By her, I mean the young woman who wrote, not Joanne. She was also diagnosed with adult inattentive ADHD and bipolar type 2, which is different from what we think of as bipolar the lows are the anxieties and the depressive episodes, and the highs aren't really highs. It just means that you feel kind of normal or you're getting by. I'm happy to know that there are professionals who can help. So if you're struggling, hang in there, keep trying, don't give up. I doubt that anyone who listens to me is not aware that Catherine Ryan is my daughter, and hopefully you're also listening to her podcast telling everybody everything, which is infinitely more entertaining and clever than anything I could have to say. Last week, in the episode titled Sick, she talked about how difficult it was to get to the root cause of certain symptoms such as eczema and what she's going through these days with Fred. I can tell you that working in IT, root cause analysis is one of the fundamental areas that we have to be trained in, that we have to get very good at. I realize that computers are a lot less complex than the human body and certainly the human brain, but it seems to me that a lot of doctors are not necessarily good diagnosticians. I don't know if it's something that's lacking in their training or what it is, but I've certainly seen my share of being ignored, misdiagnoses. And again, I understand it's complex, and I am not a physician, nor am I medically trained. I was very good at root cause analysis in my IT career, but that is a different area altogether. Even though computers are completely different from the human body, the concepts of root cause analysis surely should apply. You look at a set of symptoms, 
you try to document the symptoms as clearly as possible, a lot of people will just say, oh, it's broken. That doesn't help. You have to control for variables. I've worked with people in IT who aren't great at diagnosing the root cause of a problem. They will spend a lot of time patching symptoms. They will read an error message and not really think about what that message is telling them. They will very often guess. So many times I've heard people say, well, my guess is, and it's fine. I think a guess is very different from a hypothesis based on the symptoms being presented. In the case of a computer, the symptoms could be complete failure, unexpected results, or hopefully you get error messages, or the program is shite and proper error messaging and error reporting was never developed. The other thing I've heard people say is, well, the problem is random. However, I contend that any issue that appears to be random only appears that way because you have not identified the root cause. And sometimes the root cause is very difficult to identify. You have to be able to often replicate the problem, assess what variables could potentially be causing the problem, and then you have to go through trying to prove yourself wrong. Because it's very tempting if you change something and it works once, it's very tempting to want whatever you did to be the right answer. And then you have to test to make sure that whatever you did change didn't cause other problems. Again, the human body is much more complex than a computer. At the end of the day, a computer is binary, on, off, at its most simple level. The other challenge when it comes to medicine is the reluctance to run tests, the reluctance to admit that you maybe don't know. And a lot of illnesses definitely can present with very similar symptoms, such as a lot of autoimmune illnesses. My youngest daughter, Catherine's youngest sister, Carrie, was diagnosed with celiac disease at age 11 months. Now, that sounds not too bad because there are people who have celiac disease who are diagnosed much later in life. Maybe that celiac disease didn't get triggered until later in life. However, Carrie was progressively getting more and more ill for, I would say, about three months before she was diagnosed. At around eight months, I started giving her things like teething biscuits. Maybe sometimes she'd get a toast crust. She might get a soup that had some noodles in it. I was never a big bread eater. We certainly didn't eat a lot of processed food at home. But I did feed my children bread occasionally after Dorothy told me I had to. Dorothy's my mother. When Catherine was maybe a year old, maybe a year and a half old, I was talking to my mom about something to do with what she was eating. And my mom said, Well, Julie, do you give her bread? And I said, no, I don't give her bread. People don't need bread. Oh, for Christ's sake, Julie, give her some bread. So I gave her some bread. And then a few days later, my mom said, is she eating the bread? And I went, no, she doesn't like it. Well, are you putting butter on it? And I'm like, ew, gross, butter on bread? No, no, I'm not, mom. Oh, for Christ's sake, Julie, put some butter on the bread. She's a baby. You can't have that baby on your diet. Anyway, by the time we got to Carrie, I was sometimes giving the children bread or toast, even though they didn't really love it. And Carrie's symptoms would come and go. She might have a day where she was a bit under the weather. 
However, it escalated to the point where she would be screaming in pain. And I would sometimes take her to the hospital in the middle of the night because she would be absolutely inconsolable. And I was convinced that she had an ear infection or something. And they would check her out. They would check her ears. No ear infection. And then the condescension. Is this your first baby? No, it's not my first baby. It's my third baby. It was getting a little frustrating. And then, of course, she started having ridiculously frequent and loose stools, but not all the time. It would come and go. If you've ever had those symptoms, there's a very specific odor. Sorry if I'm grossing you out, but it's a baby. It's baby poo. It's fine. This would happen in her sleep. She would very often vomit in her sleep, and I became very sensitive to hearing her. We didn't have the baby monitor technology that we have today, but even I never slept particularly deeply because I would jump up like a shot and run into her if I thought I heard her throw up because she was throwing up in her sleep which could be extremely dangerous if she was sleeping on her back. Many, many, many nights I would have to completely change her and bathe her and undress and redress her bed through the night. Her babysitter, Val, would sometimes say, I don't know, Julie, what's wrong. She's just tired and she doesn't really want to play and I had to carry her around all day. Carrie had thrush at one point. And the pediatrician would say, thrush, how could a big, fat, healthy baby like this be getting thrush? It didn't make sense. Well, again, there was a symptom. Let's not look for the cause. He prescribed medication to resolve the thrush. But that was putting out the smoke without looking for the root cause. Then in August 1989, it suddenly got worse quickly. And I took her to the hospital because her doctor was on holidays, and that's where the on-call pediatrician would have been. There was this one pediatrician. He wasn't my children's. When he was on call, he would sometimes say, I love being on call because I get to see all the beautiful young mothers. (laughs) Anyway, there happened to be a pediatrician covering for the Sarnia pediatricians, and he was from Toronto Sick Children's Hospital. And he said to me, I don't know, I think this baby, I think she might have celiac disease. And I knew of celiac disease because her father has a condition called dermatitis herpetiformis, which is a gluten intolerance, but it doesn't cause severe gut issues like celiac disease does. It's more like a bubbling rash that he gets on his trunk and arms. But he didn't follow the diet too closely, so I had never really paid much attention to that, and it hadn't occurred to me until this doctor mentioned it. So he sent us home, and he said, call me tomorrow. I'll see what tests are available here. So I contacted him, and the next day he seemed to have a change of heart because he said to me, oh, I don't really want to step on anyone's toes here in Sarnia. And I'm like, what? You're going to have to hold off and see her own doctor. So he wasn't back until the next day. So I took time off work and stayed home with her because she really at this point was throwing up constantly, diarrhea up to her neck, and just limp, limp with fatigue and weakness. So the next day, I called her doctor 
And they said, oh, we're not seeing patients yet. He just got back from vacation. I just said, listen, this child has been getting worse for three months now, and I need a diagnosis. If you cannot see her today, I am putting her in the car. We are going to London. By London, I mean London, Ontario. And I will harass every doctor I can find in London until someone will see her. So he agreed to see her. And then he admitted her to Sarnia General. And they did a few different tests. One of them was for cystic fibrosis, which, of course, scared the crap out of me. That is not a diagnosis that you want. I don't even know if it made sense to test her for cystic fibrosis. They may have just done it to run whatever tests they had available. I have worked with people in the information technology industry who sometimes I feel like they just throw darts at a root cause dartboard. I hope the doctors don't do that. We were at Sarnia General for three days, and I was informed that there was no way to test her for celiac disease there because they had to do a small bowel biopsy, and they were not equipped to do this for a baby. She was 11 months old. So the decision was we would go to the gastroenterological pediatrician in London. That person also happened to be on vacation. So Toronto Sick Children's it was. Carrie and I went to Toronto. I did not want to be in a car for a three-hour drive with a baby who was constantly throwing up and pooping up to her eyeballs. So I took a flight to Toronto by the time I got to Toronto, I was absolutely covered in baby poo. We got there. It was very busy. We were checked into the neurology ward because they did not have space in the gastroenterology ward when we got there. But I think within a day or two, we got to the right place. We were there for, I think, about two weeks. You know, the exact timing is a bit shaky for me now. And another fun aside about that stint, I had been working late every night remotely, and remote work was not what it is today. The technology was rudimentary. I think I had either a 1200 baud or a 2400 baud modem. If you're young, you may not have any idea what that is, but you would connect to your telephone line and you would have to more or less dial in with the software. And I had worked every night at home to try and get caught up on some project. And there were problems at work. The nurses would track me down and give me messages. I'd have to go to a payphone to call work due to problems from the hospital. My boss at the time was the only other person who knew how to cover. I was responsible for mainframe communication software at the time. When there were problems, he had supported that prior to becoming a manager, so he could have, I'm sure, stepped in. However, when I got on the phone to help people, I asked them, did you try calling the boss? And the response was, yeah, he told us we needed to track you down. So that made that time additionally fun. Finally, she got her small bowel biopsy. The diagnosis was confirmed as celiac disease. They kept Carrie for three days after her diagnosis to make sure that she responded to the gluten-free diet. While I was in the hospital, I, you know, I've complained before about the government cutting back on medical support. This was 1989. 
There were staffing shortages then. Carrie was in a ward with three other babies. If the parent or caregiver was not there to look after your baby, the nurses only had time to give meds, check the chart, update the chart, and feed the baby if they had to. I did go to my sister's after Carrie was asleep so that I could sleep and also handle work calls from the night shift. Thank God I had that option. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. But during the day and evening while I was there, there was one baby in Carrie's room. He was two weeks old. His name was Jake. I have no idea what was wrong with him. I do know his parents did not live locally, and I believe they had other children. And they probably couldn't get the time off. Maybe they didn't have paid vacation like I did. I was able to take my vacation days to look after my baby. But maybe these people didn't have that benefit. And I used to walk Carrie around that hospital and also carry baby Jake around. I, I wasn't allowed to feed him or anything like that. The nurses did that. But they were so short-staffed that if there was no one there, the baby was on his own. And how can you sit there and watch a two-week-old baby cry and cry? There's no one there to hold him or anything. So I often think about him and wonder what happened to him. But anyway, we got the diagnosis of celiac disease, which I was thrilled with. There were babies in there with liver diseases, all kinds of things. So you can imagine how thrilled I was with a diagnosis that could be resolved with a gluten-free diet. Back then, gluten-free products were not widely and readily available. When I got home with Carrie, I had to experiment with gluten-free flours. I discovered that the gluten is what not only allows something to rise and makes a dough stretchy or hold together. If you have a gluten-free flour, your products will just fall apart in crumbs, and I learned that the hard way. I was able to buy xanthan gum from a wholesaler. I had to buy something like two kilos of it. You only need small amounts and a recipe to hold things together. I landed on a flour mixture that was four parts rice flour, three parts potato starch, not flour, it's too thick and dense, and one part tapioca or arrowroot flour, which is very, very fine and velvety. And mixing these three flours in that ratio really improved the flavor and texture 
I use about one teaspoon of xanthan gum for every cup of gluten-free flour in any recipe. Guar gum works too. I learned to find recipes that didn't really rely on the flour so much for their structure. So angel food cake relies on the whipped egg whites for most of its structure. So that works very well, assuming you can eat eggs. Buttermilk, anything that uses buttermilk will give it a little more lightness. Gluten-free baked goods tend to be a little more dense than you would want them to be. I never found a yeast-based bread that worked very well, but we weren't big bread eaters, so that really wasn't a huge loss for us. And what I didn't know at the time was that celiac disease is an autoimmune disorder. I did not know that until very recently. Carrie thrived once gluten was eliminated from her diet. A lot of people think a gluten intolerance is bullshit, and that may be true in many cases, but the effect of eliminating gluten for Carrie was profound. After the fact, after I got her diagnosis, I realized that she had been getting better and worse over those months because she didn't always eat food with gluten in it. Dairy sensitivity often goes hand in hand with the gluten sensitivity. I don't know why. I was just told that. And even though Abe's vegan and I rarely eat anything dairy-based, it is easier to produce a gluten-free baked product without also having to worry about not including eggs or dairy. It just does make it a little bit easier. Or you can just buy stuff because now you can. Or you just stick to fruits, vegetables, meat, fish. None of that has gluten in it. I joined the local chapter of the Celiac Association to learn as much as I could. I was president of the local chapter for a while, but there was this older lady who was the president before me, and she clearly just didn't want to give it up. She would be on the phone to me constantly. You should do this, and you should do that. I'm like, oh. Helen, you clearly want to be the president. Just take it back. I don't, I have a full time job and three young kids, and I have to make everything from scratch now. I really don't need this additional responsibility. But anyway, one of the things that I was a stickler about was not making any exceptions on her diet. I saw that poor child waste away so quickly. By the time she was 11 months old, she was back down to her four-month weight. Her arms hung like old lady turkey arms. Her butt hung like old man butt. If you've seen that old man butt of the old Sex in the City episode, that was my baby's butt. She had a hugely distended abdomen. Her hair lost its shine and kind of turned a coppery shade that wasn't really her natural shade. She had dark circles under her eyes. A baby needs fat in her diet, particularly for brain development. A severe, and I think there are varying degrees of severity with celiac disease, as with a lot of autoimmune disorders, but a case as severe as Carrie's was rendering her physically incapable of absorbing fat or nutrients. She was starving to death even though she was eating. It's a terrifying thing. So I was not about to let her make exceptions. 
there were some parents of young children who used to say, oh, well, it's a birthday party. Oh, well, you know, everyone else is having a cookie. Nope, not me. Nope. Those girls were taught from day one, and Catherine is five years older than Carrie. Catherine knew what Carrie was. We used to say allergic, even though it's not really an allergy. That's a very easy term that people understand. Catherine would be asked to read labels. So if they were with their father, he might say, Catherine, is Carrie allergic to this? And Catherine would, at age six, read the label and be able to say, oh, no, dad, there's hydrolyzed plant protein. You can't take a chance because you don't know if the plant is a, is a plant with gluten or not, if it doesn't specify the plant. And she was only six when Carrie was diagnosed, but she had to learn how to read labels. Carrie had to learn herself. When Carrie went to day camp one summer before she turned four, I filled out all the forms. So is your child allergic to this, that, or the other thing? I did that. But of course, I don't necessarily trust it. Most of these day camps are run by teens. So I pinned a sign to her shirt that said in large lettering, please do not feed me anything with wheat, barley, rye, or oats. No cookies, crackers, bread, cakes, donuts. Like I spelled it out on this sign. The first day I picked her up from the camp, the sign was gone. Fair enough. The sign covered her entire abdomen. <laughs> and um, I said to her, your sign is gone. They took it off. And I said, oh. The camp included a snack. You packed a lunch for your child, but I think they included a snack. I packed snacks for Carrie, too, because I knew she couldn't probably eat what they were providing. So I said, did they offer you a snack? And she said, yes, they did. They offered me cookies. Oh. And what did you say? She said, I told them I'm not allowed to eat any cookies unless my mother made them. Good for you, Carrie. Well done. She was still three years old, and she was able to look at them and say no thank you to a cookie. She knew, because she had been taught, and small children are not stupid, she knew that she could not eat those cookies. Now, my children felt quite deprived because we didn't get store-bought cookies or fast food or pizza in the house because we had to make everything from scratch and we had to make real food. I used to make gluten-free pizzas and just wrap them up and freeze them so that I could send them with Carrie to school when she was older so that she had something on pizza day. I used to make gluten-free cakes. I like to make a three- or four-layer cake because then it seems more special. So I made these gluten-free cakes, cut them into individual slices, and froze them so she had a piece of cake if she went to a birthday party or something. And she was very good at sticking to her diet. So if you think about it, it took three months for her to be diagnosed. I was told on multiple occasions that I was overreacting that I was an overprotective mom. I don't know what would have happened if that doctor from Sick Children's had not shown up. I don't know if they would have continued shoving me off. Maybe I would have eventually made the connection by an elimination diet, but I had actually tried that, and the symptoms do not show up immediately. Later on, Carrie started getting migraine headaches in junior kindergarten. By the time she was in the first grade, she would get them somewhat regularly to the point where she'd be throwing up. 
By the time she was in high school, she was getting migraine headaches quite routinely and throwing up on average, I don't know, maybe three times a week. This became her norm. And I pushed and pushed and pushed. What is wrong? What is the cause of this? To this day, I don't know what the cause of it is. I'm sure she doesn't know what the cause of it is. She still went to the pediatrician until she finished high school anyway. But one of the things the doctor used to say is, well, one of two things will happen. Either she'll get worse or she'll get better. And I insisted on having tests run because I don't think it's normal for a young child to be getting chronic migraines. And I don't know. I didn't know if it was a brain tumor. I had no idea what it was. But he certainly didn't know either. And it was sort of like, hmm, I wonder what this is, huh? with no tests being run. Because I was so insistent, he eventually did send her for a CAT scan. And then I insisted on an MRI because I happened to work with a woman whose husband has recurring benign brain tumors. And her point was an MRI can detect something as tiny as a grain of sand. If there's any anomaly, it will be detectable with an MRI. So I really pushed and insisted. And as I was doing this, One of the things he said to me was, well, if she had a brain tumor, she'd be dead by now. And I said, yeah, and you wouldn't have diagnosed it. So then he went ahead and signed the order for the MRI. They didn't find anything. They never did find anything. She went to a neurologist in London. They were never able to find anything. And you know, when someone you love or you yourself are suffering... If a doctor will not look for a root cause or cannot find a root cause, why is the medical community surprised that we turn to Dr. Google? We very often do need to advocate for ourselves. Now, I didn't have Dr. Google in 1989, and I'm not recommending that you turn to Google for your diagnoses. But all physicians are not necessarily good diagnosticians, and it's really hard sometimes to advocate for yourself. Medical science has come a long way, but they do not have all the answers. Researchers are continually learning. Presumably, doctors and other medical professionals are continually learning. But sadly, I think two things about medical research are still true. One, Most research funding is profit-based, and this misses a lot. No one cared about mRNA until COVID gave them a reason to use it to generate huge profits. Two, research funding does not consistently include children or non-cis male persons at various stages in their lives, such as hormonal changes, pregnancy, and menopause. And doctors are human beings who are influenced by societal biases. My experience with doctors is that a lot of them think women are emotional, not very smart, and we overreact. Uh, Listen, it's hard for me not to get into how my mother was dismissed until she died. That might be another episode. Thank you for listening. If you like my podcast, please share, rate, review, and if you have anything you'd like to say to me, feel free to DM me or email me at jewelsays at gmail.com, J-E-W-E-L-S says at gmail.com. 
And if you're not well, please just hang in there and keep trying. They will listen eventually. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.